Hi everyone, Chase Raz here. Before the show starts, I just want to let you know that Multinew Media is now on Anchor. I don't know if you've heard of Anchor before. We are running the Multinew Media Audio Forum on Anchor. Take your Android or Apple phone, download Anchor from the App Store, and you can send what are called call-ins, little audio recordings to us, and we're turning all of these, plus our feedback and commentary, into a brand new spin-off show called the Multinew Media Audio Forum. More details coming on this at the end of this episode, so stay tuned. This is Multinew Media. Hi there, everyone. I'm Chase Raz, a university instructor, corporate trainer, and man of many other hats. But all of that plays into only one fact. Me being the host of this show and working hard over time to help you as a business person connect to the world of technology. Maybe you're working in marketing or HR or education. We all need to stay up to date with relevant technologies or risk being made obsolete by those technologies. We see it happening all the time with our colleagues that don't adapt to either market or technological conditions over time, and our goal is to reverse that trend and be on the cutting edge of what comes next. In the spirit of that sentiment, we've been on a bit of a productivity kick recently talking about mobile productivity apps with Francesco D'Alessio in episode 76 and touched on the technology side with both Alan Kelly in episode 78 and our own co-host Chris Ayers way back in episode 65 by introducing one of the leading project management and productivity methodologies for technology called Agile. But what saves jobs in the future and keeps us in positions of leadership managing these new workers you may have heard of called computers is constantly pushing the envelope forward with creativity. So here to talk to us today and open a dialogue about three unique but required parts of this process is Carl Pauline. We'll be talking about the fields of creativity, productivity, and communication. Carl has a vantage point into the intersections between these three fields like no other person that I know. So let me go get Carl on a Skype call and I'll be back in just a moment. So I have Carl Pauline with me here, and Carl is a personal productivity specialist and the managing director and CEO at FanCorp English Solutions, and he's also the owner of the Carl Pauline Personal Productivity Consultancy. Carl is a visiting professor at Kyunghee University, and he owns five courses of his own on Udemy covering productivity, organization, and goal creation. In the world of video, Carl has an amazing YouTube channel dedicated to productivity with thousands of subscribers and hundreds of thousands of video views. Carl's focus on productivity is all about getting important work done in less time by using everyday technologies. Carl's published two books in English, Your Digital Life and Working with Todoist, the book, and what a wonderfully appropriate uh, book title that is. But before those two books, Carl wrote Story Presentation. Now, that book's in Korean, and admittedly, I'm never going to read a book in Korean, so I'll just let that one go for those who are interested. Joining us from his home or his office, I'm not quite sure which, on a beautiful Sunday morning in Seoul, South Korea, I'd like to welcome Carl Pauline to Multinew Media. Good morning. Uh, Carl, uh, we have a, a time difference between us. It's 11 hours. You're in Seoul, South Korea. I'm in Central Florida, uh, Lakeland, Florida, and um, so it's early morning for you and it's early evening for me indeed it is yes (laughs) so i just wanted to let everybody know the types of troubles and difficulties we've really been adamant about speaking to each other um i I want to ask did i did i miss anything in the introduction that i gave um because you work on a lot of different things and i want to make sure that all of our listeners know you know what you're working on right now and and what you bring to the table so to speak no, you've uh, you covered absolutely everything in that introduction. So there's, uh, I don't think there's anything I can add to that. Really, you've covered the productivity part, the my full time job part over here in Korea. Yeah, you've got everything there. And that that full time is that um, your university work or is that FanCorp English Solutions? Which one is your full time? My full time is FanCorp English. The uh, the university work is um, I act as a visiting professor and I'm teaching business creativity to third and fourth year graduates, uh, undergraduate students. Oh, okay, perfect. 
Um, it's actually something we identified. I, I work with uh, my former boss. He's because I have my own company now. But when I first came to Korea, he was my boss. He's a um, full-time professor. He and I were having a chat one day, and we we were just saying that um, here in Korea, there's amazing talent, but that creativity is never coming through. So we came up with the idea of writing, which is what we basically did. We wrote a a book on uh, business creativity, and now we teach it at currently at Kyungi University. But we're looking to expand it uh, throughout the country, uh, I guess, starting from next year. So uh, that's a very exciting project I'm involved in at the moment. That's To me, that's super exciting because creativity is near and dear to my heart. I teach at a private university that's all about creativity. That That mm. is my full time. And so I, I love the fact that you're out in the world teaching sometimes overly analytical business people, uh, you know, mm. the, the target audience for this show, how to be creative how to tap into that creativity do you have any advice for anyone in, in terms of creativity i mean is this something you learn or is this something you have and have to tap into what's your philosophy on uh, creativity for for me creativity is actually uh, it's more about how much experience you have uh, that's a problem that we have here in korea is that uh, when these young kids they they go through the the school system here it's all focused on the academics and it's not focused on the the, the peripheral part, which is the experience part. So although these guys are incredibly intelligent, and they really are, um, the, the area where they're lacking is in that experience part. And I've always found that, I mean, reading books, uh, by, I mean, for me, when I love reading biographies, and even though I might be reading a biography, let's take an easy example, say about Steve Jobs, um, what you find is something that he did when he was a young kid um like he went i think his the story with him is he went to india and a lot of his simplicity ideas came from his experiences in india and this is something that i push with the students is saying you know the textbooks that you're learning you know your schoolwork from is not going to give you the creativity that you're going to need to progress in the future so i'm pushing these kids to really expand their minds and to look around themselves and Basically, get out in the countryside sometimes and just look around. You'll get so many ideas from there. So that's where we're focused. One of the things uh, we focus on here is um, divergent thinking when we're talking about creativity to university students. And I never, um, before you said that, I never really thought of the connection between divergent thinking, which is often thought to be complex, right? This, how can you, how many things can you turn a paperclip into? Um, <laughs> but, but it really does come from a place of simplicity, and that's um, that's a really good insight. So, yeah, I agree. Mm. Get out in the countryside. Mm. Would you say that you're into things like mindfulness? I know there's a big mindfulness movement in the business community. Uh, where do you stand on that? Um, well, for me, really, is I think my thing is that I picked up that we live in a very, very distracted world these days. Um, our smartphones and our laptops and everything are amazing machines, but they have a the negative side of that is they're constantly interrupting us. And I think that's where the biggest problem is. So Cal Newport's book, uh, Deep Work, really opened my eyes um, about the need to be able to – I don't like that word disconnect. It, it just sounds yeah. so negative. But just to be able to take two or three hours a day where you're not going to be distracted and just get in there and focus in on the important work. What if we rebrand so it for you that, and we call it in that reconnect? Sense, I mean mindfulness. Sorry? Oh, no. I was saying, what if we rebrand it for you and uh, say reconnect, reconnect with the stuff that matters? What, does that uh, – Well, that you know, I like that. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> a really good way of putting it. Yeah, reconnecting with the things that really matter. I mean, I was lucky. I was at university and I was at school before all this uh, smartphone, before Facebook and before Twitter. And, and don't get me wrong. I love Facebook, Twitter and all that social media. Uh, but when I was at school, that didn't exist. So when I was preparing for exams, you know, I was able to really focus in on, on reviewing and studying. Uh, but I look at kids today when they're sat in coffee shops and it's like five minutes reading a book and then 10 minutes replying to their social media feeds. Yeah. I think, how on earth can they really get into some deep studying work? It's <laughs> beyond you, me. You were talking about your time at university. Did you uh, go to university in uh, South Korea or, or, or no? No, no, no. I did, I did all my, uh, academic studying in the UK. 
Okay, and you're originally from Leeds, correct? Yes, yes. Okay, perfect. I I I, I thought mm. I was clear on that, but I, I wasn't quite sure, and I didn't want to mm. didn't want to make a fool of myself. Yeah. No, so, I came over to Korea um, fifteen years ago. Now, this what, year, so what, fifteen what, years. What prompted that move? That's that's got to be a big life event. That was the big life event, and that was the big eye opener for me. Um, I had studied law. I had every vision and every imagination I was going to become a lawyer and have my 2.3 children, which is apparently the, the average in the UK. <laughs> um, I was going to uh, buy my house and have my car and dog and cat and life was going to be normal. And to be perfectly honest, when I got graduated and started in the law firm, that's when I started having doubts about that lifestyle. I thought, mm -hmm. surely life is more than that. And I also discovered I hated working in an office. I, it just did not fit my character or my personality. And I just thought, this is not, this cannot be it. So I looked around and realized I had the qualifications to come and teach English in Asia. And being British, the first place I looked at was actually Hong Kong or Singapore. Uh, and then I discovered South Korea, where, uh, where the, the cost of a glass of beer was, one, well, in English money, it's one pound, I guess. In dollars, that's going to be about one dollar fifty, yeah, something the, like that. Maybe, but that's the important um, stuff. What's the cost of beer? <laughs> yeah, indeed, it was a very important thing. So that's what made me choose South Korea. And you know, within three months of arriving here, I kind of knew I wasn't going to go back, mm. but didn't want to admit that to everybody at that stage. Yeah, you, um, you probably braced. So every them, year, yeah. every year when the Language Institute came back to me and said, "Would you like to renew your contract?" It was a uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> sure, <laughs> so why I kept not? Signing, signing the contracts, and then after about three years, I just kind of had to put my hands up and say, "Look, guys, I'm not coming back. I'm really happy here. My life had changed. I felt so much happier, and um, that was it. And I'm still here, and still feel the same way." I'm glad to hear that because that's mm. what it's about, and so much of your work is helping international business people be better at conducting business in English speaking uh, in the English speaking world. So mm. I, I guess I, I want to ask, is your work on YouTube and writing books, is that a passion project for content or is that a sizable percentage of the brand that you've created with your business? What I'm actually doing is that's kind of a separate brand to what I have here in Korea. Um, although I'm looking at bringing the two together probably next year so I can focus a little bit more on the productivity side with my students over here in Korea. So it won't be just uh, global communication. It would also be productivity. So kind of have the two pillars. Um, but time management and productivity is something I've been – I guess I must have been interested in this in middle school because I remember – when it came to exams, I used to spend more, I think I spent more hours preparing the revision schedule for my exams <laughs> than I actually did revising. But I just loved that process of creating a chart saying like Monday, 9 till 11, I'm going to study this subject. And, and I think it all started back then, but I didn't really start reading books on productivity and time management until I was in my early 20s. So I'd already graduated from school by then. Um, but it's just always... I. As far as I can think, it's probably been always a part of my life. I've just been fascinated with that whole time management. These Time management was what we called it back then. These days, we, right. we call it productivity. Mm -hmm. um, but it was always the same thing. So, you know, it's just been something I've been really fascinated with and really enjoy. And the funny thing is, it was the smartphone revolution really made me want to start helping people because a lot of my business clients here – they had the, the latest smartphones. I mean, South Korea is one of these countries that's really high tech, and they had all the latest smartphones. But what I noticed was they were using them just like they used their dumb phones. Mm. You know, it was just telephone calls, text messages, and that was really about it. They weren't using them for productivity. And I was, I got my iPhone, I think, about 2009. And that was one of the first things I was looking at. I was looking at how can I use this to make my life that much more convenient. And uh, once I realized that so many people were not using their smart devices in a smart way, if you like, um, I decided that's when I started to write the book, the first edition of uh, Your Digital Life, and that led to the YouTube channel. So it was my observations, I guess, in working with business professionals that pushed me to start wanting to teach 
productivity or to encourage people to get more productive. Well, you know, I, I I almost wonder if that's not an international trait, the fact of using smartphones in non-productive ways, using them as dumb phones. And I think one of the um, – I'm curious on your, uh, your thoughts on this because what I've observed and I know I've experienced this myself as well, when you have a smartphone in front of you, it's not like being on the desktop or the laptop, right? If you want to email, you're told, well, Exchange is the best, so you better go get Outlook. And then you're told if you want to uh, do graphic design – Photoshop's where you need to be. And you're always told this is where you should go. And the business person, the business mindset, we don't really have to do a lot of thinking about it. We go find the appropriate tool, the market leader. On the phone, there are hundreds of to-do apps. <laughs> and well, and it's it's very yes. difficult. I mean, the the I spent um, uh, the past couple of weeks switching from Windows Phone to Android. And it took me, n- no joke, three or four weeks to fully switch over and become even somewhat productive. And I, I wonder your thought on that is, is, is there a little bit of overload with our mobile devices, too many apps, too many competing factors? Well, I suppose technically that, that happens pretty much in, in every kind of technology world. I mean, you know, uh, if you look at, I mean, I'm an, a Mac user, but um, I know this from when I've worked with windows computers, there is, there's always been a, a huge amount of different apps to do pretty much the same thing. Although the one thing that surprised me was like with Adobe products. I mean, I remember back in probably before 2010, if you were doing any kind of graphic design, it was all Adobe, Photoshop, Mm -hmm. Illustrator, InDesign. These days, Adobe has a lot of competition. So I think it's just the natural progression that, you know, now we have better access to, uh, application development. I think it's probably a lot easier now. It's not as such a geeky world. Right. And so many right. people are going into that. It's, it's just inevitable that we're going to get a lot more tools. Well, it's viewed as uh, uh, very cool to have the, the, you know, the hot popular app. And it is. Yeah. And in terms of those apps, it looks like from the materials that you have on uh, YouTube and of course your book about Todoist, you tend to focus in two primary areas. Um, Todoist, and Evernote, and, and I'm, I'm really curious, why these two? Well, Evernote, I should start with Evernote. Evernote is the first note-taking application I ever put on a smartphone. And I fell in love with it right at the very beginning. So this is back in 2009, so what, that's 2017, so I've had it like eight years now. And I feel like my whole mo- digital mobile life has grown with Evernote. And to be honest, I cannot... I've seen, I've played around with other note app taking applications because the one thing, my only gripe with Evernote is it's not the prettiest mm. user interface. I mean, it's okay, but it's not the prettiest. And these days, aesthetics and design is, is becoming more and more important. It's one of the differentiators, I guess, between oh, yeah. applications. They absolutely, that um, absolutely counts for something. Mm, and, but, I suppose I've invested so much in Evernote, and I don't mean in terms of financially, but in terms of time and, and organizing it the way I like it. And one of the things I've learned about in terms of productivity as well is that too often if you start switching around with applications, you spend more time learning how to use an application than you do actually using it to work. Right. And so I've learned that one very, very, I did, I made all the mistakes. I tried every single application <laughs> you could imagine. Um, so you burnt those weeks as well. Week to learn. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of lost so, time. Yeah. At least with, uh, with Evernote, that is something I just do not need to learn. I've learned it years ago and I love it. And I, there's loads of stuff to do is on the other hand, that's a relatively newer app because I started, if I remember correctly, I started with uh, Franklin Covey's Tasks, I think was their application, because I came came from Franklin Planner System when I was using an analog system. Mm -hmm. I then switched to Things, then OmniFocus, and then Todoist. So Todoist I've been with for about three years now. Maybe, yeah, about three years. And again, the thing about Todoist for me was its simplicity to start with. You can have it really simple or you can make it a lot more complicated. It really depends on your personality. But also the the design of Todoist has always had that appeal for me. I just think it's probably the most beautiful Todoist app out there. And they don't keep messing around with it or playing around with the design. It's just incremental improvements. And I really just have a, a huge love for Todoist because it is it just works. It's so stable. 
Well, and beautiful. It, it is, and, and there's a little bit of a downside for Todoist with me. I've I've openly been going through and evaluating to do software, and I find with Todoist the aesthetics. Um, there's they're very good, but there's a drawback is when you um, clear all of your tasks. You know, instead of just being organized in lists like everybody else, you have that beautiful screen at front that'll say you're all done for today. And mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not I'm not trying to be cute when I say this, but I really find myself not putting tasks in because I want to stay on that screen. <laughs> and there's a little bit of, a oh, I know I need to write this down and mark it and, and do something. But I want to see that you're all done screen. Mm. I mean, that's it's, to me that that is one of the nicest things to see at round about nine o'clock at night. Yeah. Nine o'clock at night, let's try for nine in the morning and then say, all right, let's go take a hike. Yeah, that would be nice, (laughs) but it's never likely to happen for me. Yeah, yeah, we we can dream. Nine o'clock at night, I'd see that, uh, you know, you're all done for the day and you've got that smiley sunshine or something. Yeah, that's what it Uh, is. Yeah, something like that. uh, It's a nice feeling. So you use these apps on iOS, and I know you just uh, you just mentioned that. And in the forward to your book, uh, Your Digital Life, you mentioned that you're an Apple user for uh, various different reasons, but you also say that you like to use device agnostic software. So that makes me kind of curious on the issue of of productivity. And and I ask this question of a lot of people. So if you've heard me ask this before, I'm not asking you for the same reason I ask everyone. Do OS X and iOS factor into your productivity? Is there something about the way they're laid out? Uh, or is it an aesthetic issue? Or what draws you to Apple products in, in terms of productivity? Uh, actually, the, the real truth is, is way back in 1997, when I, I was given my first computer by um, an ex-girlfriend's father, he gave me his old perf- Mac Performer uh, computer. And that was my first uh, computer. So I've never actually Let's owned see, a ni- Windows. But- 97, did that use system software 8 or 9? Uh, I started <laughs> with 7. Oh, 7. Uh, Mac OS 7, yeah. Okay. And then... Uh, 7.5 for a while, and then I remember it did switch. To, I think they did they skip eight and went straight to nine. I, I, anyway, I can't I remember, remember that. But um, the funny thing about that is back in 97, we had the really geeky uh, Apple users. So when you bought your Mac, um, the, I think one of the first screens was the question, what do you want to call your Mac? Mm-hmm. And real Mac users used to give it a real name. So my first Mac was called Clive. Clive, I and, love that, and we always and I always referred to it as Clive. I never said my computer, and even to this day, I, I mean, my iPad and my iPhone I, I, is just my iPad and iPhone, but my desktop and laptop still have names. Huh? And I still refer. Please to tell them me one of them is Clive Junior. No, no, actually, I've gone down the James Bond uh, road, oh. and I'm calling. <laughs> so my current computer desktop is called Mathis. Um, named after the supposedly friend of James Bond, and uh, my laptop is called Coral, yeah. which is from the book Doctor No. Yeah, I think I saw that on Twitter. So on Twitter, I learned a little bit about you because uh, mm. definitely you're a Bond fan, and then uh, you and I do share something that we both like, Armin Van Buren. Um, oh. I saw you sharing <laughs> yes. some stuff there. and uh, So, mm. so yeah, I, I know a lot of people uh, love to hate on Twitter, but I, I, I love it for um, the ability to find these things out. So, so mm. you you're still naming. You said your desktop and your laptop, but not yeah, they your still phone. Get names. So why not? Uh, I mean, just um, a little tangent here. Why why not the phone? Is it is it not that personal of a device to you? Or to too be, actually, to be honest, I did start uh, calling um, my mobile devices names, but you know, you change them more frequently. I t- I think I change my iPhone every two years. Oh, maybe okay. my la- iPad probably gets changed every three years. And it, it gets very difficult coming up with new names. <laughs> so, right, you'd, you'd be Clive, but my desktop Clive and laptop the forty fifth. It can be five years. Yeah, yeah. So, but but so, it's nothing to do. So you're saying there's not no real for you productivity issue. It's not that you're looking for a dock over a taskbar or anything like that. It's just that's no, no. You're you've just been in there a while, and that's 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 your comfort. It zone. is, and I I understand. You know, I my desktop. I I tried upgrading to. Um, in Mac OS High Sierra on my desktop mm-hmm. uh, the other day, and uh, everything went wrong. <laughs> and, um, but because I've been using Mac for 20, yeah, 20 years now, I know I know exactly what to do to get it all back again. Ah, uh, see, that's the key. Um, that there's there's where the productivity kicks in. Yeah. So with my when that went all wrong, I I always have a 
little USB stick with a hard copy of my operating system and I know exactly which keys to use to get it started again and reboot. So, you know, I know you can do all that with Windows and I'm sure it wouldn't take very long to learn, but um, you know, I, I know how a Mac works. I know how the filing system works. So it would be, if I switched to PC now, it would just be, well, hell. Yeah, <laughs> 20 years of learning is just going to get thrown away. So right. I wouldn't want to do that. I'm, but you know, these days, because uh, uh, that question is a really interesting question, because these days what I've noticed is Apple, Google, and Microsoft, those guys are building ecosystems now where it really doesn't matter what operating system you're using. Right. You know, you've got Windows, uh, was it Office 365 is available. I can use that perfectly okay on Mac back in, back in 1997. <laughs> that would have been, no, that's not going to happen. Um, you've got, you know, Google with their sheets, uh, page, what do they call it? Sheets, uh, slides and docs. Docs. Yeah. Yeah. And then of course, Apple have their iWork suite, which is available through the web as well. So, I don't really think these days it's, it really matters what operating system you're using um, because it's always available, whichever. It's more about the software now. And, of course, that's why all, all three of those plus others are fighting out in that personal uh, assistant space because they know that yeah. the operating system has been you know, marginalized to a good degree. It has, yeah. I, I don't think that them and us that we had in the – 1990s and early 2000s you know are you a mac user or a windows user i think that just disappears now i i i very rarely hear that and even the android versus ios them and us appears now to have disappeared right right i mean you'll um, find you'll find a few pockets i mean in it they're they're hmm. windows heavy and then um you know, at the university I teach at, they're, they're, we we kind of pick. We'll we'll pick Mac over anything else. Sometimes to our detriment, and it's kind of you know, are we the cult of Mac around here, or are we making this decision for a good reason? So it's still around here and there. But I, I agree with your sentiment. By and large, nobody really cares as long as the device is spec'd properly and works and runs the application um, mm. that you're looking for. You know, if, if one of uh, – I teach at one of the big hospitals here in Korea. I teach a lot of the doctors, so I'm preparing them for their international presentations. I mean, they're all Windows users, and they send me um, PowerPoint files for checking or, or redesigning. Mm -hmm. And they often send me their scripts for their articles, which is done in uh, Microsoft Word. And, you know, I don't think we ever have that conversation that we used to have saying, oh, could you send me it in this format? You know, these days, you don't even have to think about it that way. You just send a Microsoft Word document and the person receiving it just knows how to open it. Um, so we're, we're certainly moving away from, you know, I'm a Mac user, you're a PC user. I think um, I'm just a computer user. Right. So <laughs> yeah. what, what about um, back on the application side for just a moment? Mm. You know, this this concept of getting things done and you were talking about the applications can if, – if you learn every single application that's out there, it gets in the way and you never get anything done. When we used to call this field time management, um, mm. has has productivity evolved into something else or is this really just time management? I mean are there still techniques we, we um, deploy? A, a guest that was on the show a couple of episodes ago told me about the Pomodoro technique of mm. you know scheduling your work into blocks. When you're working with clients, and I know a lot of your work is about uh, communication and creativity, but is there anything you you um, share with them that you'd be willing to share with our audience that um, how to really just kind of take your work to the next level and, you know, your boss is putting 20 things on you and you can get to 18. How, how do you fit all 20 things in? What are some of the techniques you use? Well, one of the things actually what I do, I mean, it always goes back to David Allen's words, which he says that... Um, write it down mm -hmm. um, because it's so many people do not write it down still. And even as you say, 20 things have been thrown at them and they're, they're not writing it down. Now uh, I completely understand what David Allen says is that your, your head is not a good office. Yeah. And yeah. you know, that is so true. You are, if you're not writing these things down, particularly today, and when I say writing it down, it doesn't matter whether you're using pen and paper or some kind of digital tool. It really doesn't matter. But all these things that are being thrown at us. You really have to write them down. But people still believe they will remember to do it later. 
and we don't we forget um you know one of the funniest i one of my kind of hobbies is i love going out running and <laughs> i need siri when i'm running because quite often my brain de- start, decides to start coming up with ideas when i'm like three or four kilometers into a run Oh, and if I didn't have my phone with me, I would be like, oh, oh, I'm going to forget. I'm going to forget. And so often these days I stop and I have to capture those ideas. Mm-hmm. But people are not – I am I am very much into the habit of capturing everything. I can make a decision later whether I actually want to do it. But as you say, those office workers who are being thrown you – know, work is being thrown at them from every angle, colleagues, bosses, clients, customers. If they're not writing it down, that is what's going to cause them their stress. Yeah, um, because yeah. your head really is not a good office. And, and I, I'm totally on board with David Allen on that. It is that awful feeling when um, <laughs> you realize what you forgot to do right as someone's walking around the corner to ask you for it. You know, Indeed. we all know that that feeling of yeah. your just your stomach sinking and and your chest sinking and just that awful feeling and, and writing it down helps. It, it, you know, I, I think I like, um, I, I really like, and I, I wish I could find it right now. I'm just going to admit, I'm going to stumble through this because I believe there was something that you had said in one of your books that there's no system for making you get more things done other than you have to do the work. Um, yes. Again, I don't remember where that was or, or it was just something I came across um, as I was looking through some of your materials. And I, I, I love that sentiment. Um, but is is that all there is to it? I mean, how do you convince how do you convince yourself to get up and do more when you already feel um, maybe you, some people already feel maxed out at their jobs? Actually, for me, it wasn't so much a revelation. It was just more kind of a discovery is uh, I hear a lot of people talk about doing that their kind of like a daily planning schedule, whether you do it in the morning or you do it in the evening. And it's never really been a debate. But one of the things I found, I've tried both. I've tried planning in the evening. I've tried planning in the morning. If you plan in the morning, I've always found it just becomes a disastrous day. Uh, And I know a lot of people will say, no, 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 I have to plan in the morning. But what I find is planning in the evening, sort of mentally preparing myself, what do I actually have to do tomorrow? Um, What I find is it must be something that happens when you're sleeping but when I wake up the next morning, I am really motivated to get that done, even if it is the most horrible job you have to do. Hmm. Um, but when I planned in the morning, I found myself, oh, I don't really want to do that today. No, I'm not going to do that today. Oh, God, I've got to do that. You know, Mentally, I was not prepared. But the night before, somehow, I'm, I'm sure it must happen when you're sleeping, but it sort of your brain prepares itself, if you like, for yeah, doing those absolutely. tasks. So if I say to myself, right, tomorrow I'm going to spend two hours on focused work on writing my book, I know it, it will happen. But if I do that at, say, 6 o'clock in the morning or 7 o'clock in the morning, say, right, today I need to write two hours of my book, I notice the language changes for starters. I say, I need to write two hours of book. So it sounds like it's a chore, not something I want to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the difference when I find if I go to bed saying, right, tomorrow there's two hours of writing or tomorrow I'm going to record this particular video or I'm going to write this particular blog post. For some reason, I'm much more positive about it if I do it the night before or I, than doing it in the morning. And I'm not sure if that's just me or that is some kind of psychological thing in all human beings. Um, but I have tried both ways and I do find planning in the morning it's not as effective as planning before I go to bed. Well, I, I don't um, think it's just you. And um, I've never really given that thought before. I typically, I I kind of plan whenever something pops in my head. And that's not, mm. admittedly, that's not the best way to do it, but it's what I do. And mm. I do find, I, I, I kind of, you're forcing me to think about my, my own life here. And I, I think mm. about, I do do most of my planning in the morning, I would imagine. And mm-hmm. uh, here's what I have to do today. Here's what's on my to-do list. How do I prioritize this? And I almost have a little bit of a the the you know the inverse response of instead of saying oh I don't want to do this or um, I end up thinking I can take on too much. Whereas mm, yeah, I, I, that's another problem that a lot of people have. I wonder if I uh, I wonder if people who are like that who who share that sentiment with me, if we started planning in the evening when we are fresh off of 
here's how much I reasonably was able to complete today. Um, mm-hmm. it, we may not be as starry eyed after, um, you know, a good night's sleep of, of being a little bit too refreshed if, if there's mm-hmm. such a thing. So no, mm-hmm. I, I think that's, um, perfectly valid. And it's the, the other thing is that, that I actually do set it up as a time. So I am going to write for two hours tomorrow and, uh, now, I do don't you, necessarily do you block schedule that it, but time? I do look, Okay. You don't necessarily well, schedule it. Well, the, the thing is, is that, um, I know that I'm going to be teaching, early in the morning, uh, but I always usually have mid-morning when I will have an hour or two. Mm. So I don't necessarily need to schedule it. But if, if I was working in an office where it's constant work coming at me, then I think I would actually schedule it. Um, but one of the things I, I've learned, and I learned this a long time ago, is you can actually train your boss. Oh, I like this. Let's, let's go uh, more into this. Yeah. Um, one of the, I don't think this is necessarily a big problem in other countries, although it might be, but certainly in Korea, uh, there's a problem where the, because of the Confucianism society, um, if your boss kind of says jump, you will say how high. Um, oh, I think that's pretty much global. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but one of the things that they do is if the boss um, calls you on a weekend, for example, they will jump and answer the phone. Now, when I first came to Korea, um, I'd, I'd come from uh, working in an office, which was sort of like, you know, your boss would never call you on a weekend. In fact, your boss probably wasn't have your mobile phone number. Right. Um, and the only reason why a boss might call you on a weekend is to say, don't come in on Monday, the building burnt down. <laughs> <laughs> so it would, it, you're just not going to get the call. Too many people are uh, crossing their fingers right now, hoping that's, that's a bad thought to have. No. <laughs> Yeah, probably. We but want gainful is, employment. I, um, my Korean boss at the time did start calling me on a weekend, and I just didn't answer the phone because I, <laughs> I didn't know you had to. Oh, right. Um, and I always remembered that on a Monday I would call him and say, "Oh, I, I, you called me yesterday." And he says, "Yeah, I, I, I called you yesterday. You didn't answer your phone." I said, "Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't have my phone with me." But the funny thing is, is after a few weeks, he stopped calling me on a weekend. Ah. Because he knew he wouldn't, I wouldn't answer my phone, and I didn't have to say I do not answer my phone on a weekend. He just learned his, he knew my behavior or learned my behavior, and I never got fired, and I, I, I still went through the promotion channels. Nobody got promoted above me, so I knew it wasn't a career um, damaging uh, system that I had. But I realized that, and I tried it with many, many other bosses, and they all soon very quickly learned that I don't answer my phone on a weekend. Now, do you think that you were uh, – I'm assuming that at least some of these bosses were Korean. Um, mm. Do you think that there was a little bit of accommodation given to you? They, they may have looked at you and said, oh, OK, you're not originally from here or – I mean could a um, – There is a possibility. There is a possibility that was the case. Uh, but then they did, as I say, initially in the early days, they say, oh, I called you on the weekend. You didn't answer your phone. And I, all I said, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. On the weekend, I don't carry my phone with me. That was just my response, and they soon quickly learned that I wasn't going to answer my phone if they called me on a on a weekend. So I realized that you could actually apply that to, you know, other people could apply that rule. And what we found was the same thing happened. Bosses stopped calling on a weekend because ah. they knew you weren't going to answer. I I think that's a an interesting topic that a lot of people would love to do. I think there are a lot of um, expectations put on. Workers and hopefully workers have the right attitude of, you know, you're you're definitely agreeing to be there and to do a to do a service for a business or to work for on a project or whatever the case is. Um, But what are some other ways we could we can manage up, so to speak? Well, you see, now this work, if you look at it in reverse, what I was saying is if you do start answering your phone every evening, uh, when anyone, your colleagues call you or your boss calls you or you call answer them on the weekend, you are effectively giving them permission. Uh-huh. to call you on a weekend and in the evening. Now, I started applying uh, – I took this a step further later because I found that my students were sending me emails at 11 o'clock at night saying, this is urgent. Can you please proofread this document? Oh, see, now you've, you – know, that's, that's me. Sunday night, 11 o'clock always. So I'm, I'm, I'm all ears right now. Mm. So what I found was is that I then applied a rule so, uh, that – to myself was was like right 10 o'clock is my shut off time i mean i love my work Mm -hmm. but i do need to have some downtime occasionally so i said right 10 o'clock is my cut off time and i just told everyone 
So if they said, oh, I've got a document I want you to check, could you please check it? I says, yeah, sure, but make sure you send it to me before 10 o'clock. Right. And once I – because 10 o'clock is reasonable. Even a boss is going to accept, you know, that you're going to need some downtime. Mm -hmm. So – uh, I don't I mean, know. My, my students that, don't. Least... I can tell them that. I, you know, I tell them on Sundays. I say, listen, on Sundays I may be working. You'll probably get me, but I'm not giving any. I'm not honoring any extensions. I'm not. You know, you, you're not going to hear back from me probably until Monday. You need to ask questions. And I still get those emails 11:30 at night on Sunday. So I'm mm. I'm still looking for that secret. If I find that one, I'll I'll pass it to you as well. But but um. Maybe I'm working with well, yeah, particularly I mean, I stubborn still get people. Them. People still send me messages or emails after 11 o'clock at night, but I, I just don't respond to it. Right. I know it's there. I do read it, but <laughs> and, they don't know that. And, and they get the hint. Yeah, I, soon they'll get the hint. And if they say, oh, I sent you an email, I said, yeah, but I think you sent it after you know 11 o'clock. I mean, come on, guys. I've got to sleep sometimes. <laughs> um, and eventually, you know, as I say, this is this is part of training your boss or training your colleagues. But, you know, if you stick to those rules – uh, they soon learn and they start to respect the fact that you are putting a, a time and, you know, 10 p.m. is reasonable. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's not like you're saying, right, from 5.30 p.m. onwards, I'm not going to respond to any emails or messages. I mean, that might be a bit unreasonable, but, right. you know, 10 p.m. is a reasonable time to be able to say, look, enough. I need some downtime. Well, a lot of this overlaps with your work in communications. Uh, mm. I know you primarily focus on South Korean business people, but are there any types of um, communication tidbits that you give to audiences, to your your students, to your clients that are just um, global in nature that seem to be things that, you know, business people like us miss, but you are uh, uniquely in tune to see them uh, because of your work? Yeah, actually, there is one tip which I've given to so many people, and this is really regarding email because it's still the primary business communication tool. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things I find is people are usually exclusive, oh, I get so many emails. But one of the problems they have is if I send a unique document to you, so it's not a newsletter, it's not just a, a standard email I send out every week. But if, I, if you write an email to me and say, oh, Carl, could you send me this PPT file? for example, and then I return it to you, and then I hear nothing from you. I'm now thinking, did he get it? Mm -hmm. and, it's a, and I know it's only like maybe just a tiny little voice in my mind saying, um, did he get it? He said it was really important. Did he get it? But there's no response. There's no thank you. There's nothing. And I always tell to my, say to my students, that, look, I know people complain they get too many emails, but thank you for sending me the file is a one-line email yeah. that people can read in less than two seconds. It's not going to cause them any problems, but it's polite, it's courteous, and to me, it's professional. The other one I always tell people is you've got 24 hours to reply to an email. Right. If you don't reply within 24 hours, you're being unprofessional. Mm -hmm. And I says if you, I always tell them that if you can't reply within 24 hours because you you're waiting on information or something like that, tell them that. You know, say, thanks for the email. I need a bit more time to get the information together, but I will send it back to you from Friday. Now, to me, this is just professional courtesy. But too often these days, people just sit on the email. And I just find that really unprofessional. And what I've noticed with the really successful people I work with here, like the top CEOs, the guys who work from the bottom up, those guys do it. They always say thank you. They always say, look, I need a bit more time. I'm on a business trip. I'll do it when I get back. And they do do it when they get back. But the people stuck in what I call the middle management trap, they never do it. Mm. Yeah. And I often wonder, I know it's not just the reason why they're stuck in the middle management trap, but the guys who are at the top, they're doing it all the time. And they're just as busy. I know. I work with them. Right. I'm sure it's, it, you know, I'm sure it's symptomatic. It's not necessarily mm. the cause of their lack of promotion, but it's certainly, um, Showing itself, yeah. As, as I say, it's part. It's just a little part of it, but it does have. It has a big impression on other people. Well, you know, and, and you, to your first point, I've always wondered if people think I'm being rude when when someone sends me a file. Um, hmm. I typically just shoot back a one word reply of received, and I've always hmm. wondered how that plays off. And I'm sure that you know, here in the U.S. or over in the U.K., I'm sure it plays just fine. How would something hmm. like that play in South Korea? It would be. Well, first of all, they'd be shocked that somebody replied. <laughs> it's, it's not that common here. But as I say, it's one thing I want to help people with, with their careers. And I say, you've got to stand out. 
And if you're always polite and you always say thank you when somebody sends you something, I mean, it doesn't take long. It takes less than a second to say thanks for that. Mm -hmm. Um, But the impact it has on people's perception of your professionalism and your courtesy is huge. And I always say this is one of the quickest ways to get people to change their attitude towards you. Um, If you're always polite and you're always professional, people see you as reliable and, you know, likable. So it's one of the top things I always, when when we start doing email with my students and talking about how we can make their email more efficient and better, that is something I always start with. Um, I know it's a bit more work, but to write, thanks for sending that, is not going (laughs) to take long to type. No. Well, you know, if we, if we wanted to start understanding a little bit more about creativity, about productivity, about communication, about the, these types of ideas that you really represent as a, um, as a thought leader in these fields, what would we, uh, I, I guess I'll ask you a series of questions here. What should we read if we want to mm-hmm. be better in these fields? Um, mm-hmm. Who should I potentially have on the show that we would want to listen to? And, uh, I think here's the big one. What should we avoid? <laughs> well, the first thing is, uh, of course, I'm, I'm going to tell everybody to read Getting Things Done simply because it is the the book to read if you want to get your stuff together. But there are a couple of other books that I, um, that I would recommend, actually. One of them, a book that I read this year, which is uh, Jim Rohn's uh, The Five Major pieces to the life puzzle is actually quite a short book um but it is brilliantly written and it really does help you to put your life into perspective it's called the five major pieces to the life puzzle jim Rohn's book um fantastic book and the other one actually a book i would recommend is the first proper time management book that i read which was a written by a guy called Hiram Smith. Now, he was the guy who created the Franklin Planner. Now, most Mm. people think Stephen Covey did that, but Stephen Covey's company merged with Hiram Smith's company. It was Hiram Smith who created the Franklin Planner, and he wrote a book called The Ten Natural Lawyers of Life and Time Management. It was the first book I read, and it is brilliant. I just recently found it on Kindle and discovered that the principles I learned when I was maybe 21, 22, when I read it, have followed me throughout my life. I still follow them, and they still work. It's just such a brilliant book. Um, I, it's just pretty amazing. I'd, I'd want to add in your um, your digital life. Uh, I, of I, course. I, well, and, and <laughs> as a plug, yes, of course. But beyond that, um, I just think that the subject matter is 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 interesting. Now that's um, your the oldest of your books uh, that's written in it English, is. correct? Yes, that is correct. Yep. And uh, I'm currently the, I'm actually updating that book, so I'm bringing an addition to it. But it's a totally rewritten book. The thing is, when you're dealing with digital technology, of course, the problem is going to be that digital technology is always moving forward. So when I sat down to write that book, I think three years ago, I knew it was going to have to be updated probably every two years. Right. And that's one of the reasons why I sat down to start updating it this this year. Um, the fundamentals don't change. But, right. Absolutely. Uh, what I'm looking at is some of the, the newer techniques that have developed over the last two years. Um, and I wanted I put in four I think there's four case studies like, like Winston Churchill, Margaret Thatcher, um, Ian Fleming, and my former boss actually were my the four case studies I put in that book. And what I wanted to do with the, each edition is bring in four new case studies. Uh, and so that's what I'm doing with this second edition, which should come out this winter. Oh, that'd be good. So we should, uh, I, and um, again, not even for the plug reason, we should get the original because it's only it's only three years old. It's it's you know I, I think a, a refresh is always a good thing to do, but it'll be nice to see in a in the span of three years what changes. So get the one uh, currently, and yeah, then this, this winter get get the follow up the second edition. I think my my goal is like is just uh, each edition kind of follows on from each one. So if somebody actually went out and bought all the editions out over the next ten twenty years or whatever, what it would be a, a a wonderful journey to look back. It'd be a good series. 
Yeah, you'd be able same to say, like, 20 years ago, this is how we had to do it. Now look what we're doing. But now I'm going to have to – I wish you could buy several copies on, on Kindle then because if they phase it out, right, then I want a collector's edition. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, as, so is there anybody that you think I should have on the show or maybe other podcasts we should listen to? I know you have a to-do series on YouTube. Um, what other – beyond books, what other resources are out there that, that we should be engaging with uh, for creativity, productivity, or communication? Um, actually, um, there is a guy out there who is, um, who I, I was really impressed with. I heard him on the Mac power users podcast and, um, it's a guy called Mike Williams. He's the CEO of David Allen company. And I've seen his Ted talk. Well, that comes um, with some credentials right there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Mike Williams. I mean, I was, I don't listen to the Matt Power Users episodes every week because I tend to look for people like Merlin Mann. I love Merlin Mann. Whenever he's on that show, there is just such wonderful thinking that comes out in that show. But Mike Williams was one of those ones that I listened to on on that podcast, and he was brilliant. I, I love the way he explains things. He doesn't make anything too complex. And for anybody who's just starting out in the world of, wanting to get themselves more organized and more productive, then Mike Williams is a guy that you should listen to. He's got a wonderful way of explaining things and it makes it so easy to understand. And as I say, he's the CEO of David Allen Co. And he's somebody I would recommend that you get on the show because as I say, he is really, really insightful in the way that he talks. He's just very good. I mean, of course, David Allen is a great interview as well. Um, but though he is, Mike Williams would be like my top tip. Nice, um, particularly from the Mac Power users uh, side, and um, really uh, in terms of resources, when it comes to productivity, I mean, my, I always tell my pe- my my students and people listening is find your own system, because everybody is different, mm-hmm. uh, and everybody's working style is different. I mean, I'm I can work in coffee shops. I don't have a physical office that I have to go to every day, but a lot of people have to go to the same place every day. So their system, my system is never going to work for them. Right. So it's a case of find your own way. So what about this big question? What should we avoid? Is there, are there pitfalls? Are there, I mean, um, are there uh, snake oil salespeople out there? What, what, what should we be avoiding in the fields of creativity and uh, communication? Do you know, actually, I, I, I've thought about this one before. I have looked for people who are kind of giving out what I would describe as bad advice, but I haven't actually, in terms of productivity, time management, whatever you want to call it, I actually haven't found any like snake oil salesman or anything. Uh, there's a lot of good advice out there. The danger, of course, is if you start listening to so many conflicting types of advice and then you start getting very confused yeah and and, and especially Um, if you never take the time to test any of those things to see which appeal to you or apply to you and which don't um true and one of the things i was studying this this year and i set out at the beginning of the year to look at um over the last 40 years the top like motivation speakers self-development time management speakers and I, i picked on uh brian tracy jim Rohn, tony robbins and uh, Zig Ziglar. And, you know, these days on YouTube, pretty much all their material is out there. Right. So you can listen to it, watch it for free. And one of the things I've noticed, having studied these guys, is they all had the same message. <laughs> yeah. The only difference was their style and the stories they used to illustrate their points. So, of course, Tony Robbins, who's very much alive today, I mean, high energy, high impact. Brian Tracy, very soft, very gentle. Uh, and very logical. Jim Rohn just so – well, everything Jim Rohn said was very logical. I, it's just when you listen to Jim Rohn, you go, yeah, he's right. He's right. That's all you ever <laughs> say, you find yourself saying. Um, and Zig Ziglar, I mean, he, he could have been a stand-up comedian. I mean, he the way he said it, he's just so funny. But still, the same story, the same principles are there. And – I would say if somebody really wanted to get their life organized and get themselves more productive, those four people are definitely worth going through on YouTube or buy their books because what they were telling us over the last 40, 50 years is still true today. The fundamentals are really – I mean technology might have changed, but humans haven't. Yeah, that's we're still the same at the core. Uh, yes. that, that's important to remember. 
So, Carl, uh, thanks for joining me today. I, I do want to ask one more question here to sort of send us into our wrap up. Uh, and, and, and this one, feel free to, um, to do any shameless plugs you want. Um, be shameful if you want. I mean, that's always an option too, but, um, in all seriousness, what's next for you? I mean, you have a blog, um, are you going and you have books, you're reissuing a second edition of one of your books. Uh, you have a couple Udemy courses. Uh, are we going to see a podcast a radio show? Um, maybe a one man autobiographical play. So what's next for you, Carl? <laughs> Um, actually, the funny thing is that I, I have been looking at the the idea of a podcast, but you know, I, on my YouTube channel, I, I have um, a series called Working with Work, which essentially is a podcast, but it's on YouTube. Right. So one of the things I was thinking about was maybe taking the audio track from those uh, videos and then just placing them as a podcast, because I know a lot of people like to listen when they're commuting, and it's listening rather than watching. And that's what got um, me into this. Even before doing it, it's an hour and a half commute, and and that's that's uh, a lot of people who listen to these things. Yeah, so that's why I was thinking, and I'm still looking into doing that one, and maybe over the next couple of months, that's what I will do. Um, but essentially, for me, my real goal is I learned from an early age about what productivity and time management can do for you, and. You know, I often tell my students, I very, very rarely feel any stress because my system works. It works for me. I'm not saying it would work for everyone else. And I don't, very few things get missed. Um, but it's been a lot of hard work to get there, to build that system. So I want to try and help as many people as I can to experience that kind of life where there is little stress. They are on top of their work and they can enjoy their leisure time much more. Because you see a lot of people when they're at work, sorry, when they're on holiday or on vacation and they're still checking their work email. Mm. And I said, that's not life. That's, you know, I'm lucky. I, in my early 20s, if I went abroad, there was no way anyone from work could get in touch with me. But sadly, these days, that's not so easy. So, uh, well, yeah. um, so I just want people to be able to enjoy their life. I think that's one thing that if we if we do a follow up, I'd I'd love to pick your brain for a while about work life balance because that um mm. I think that's where this conversation would go next. But mm. um, we'll we'll do a cliffhanger. How about that? Indeed, let's do a cliffhanger. <laughs> All right, Carl. Thanks for joining us. Uh, for everyone listening, go get Carl's books on Amazon or the Apple iBookstore. Just search for Carl Pullein, spelled P U L L E I N. Both of his books are great reads. The Todoist book is is wonderful if you're just getting started with the personal tooling for productivity or really just love uh, Todoist. But my personal recommendation is Your Digital Life, and I'm super happy to hear that a second edition will be coming sometime in the near future. Carl, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. The conversation with Carl was great, but now it's over. On one level, that makes us sad. But on another, we're excited because now we get to have a conversation with you. I've been working for the past several months to make multi-new media as interactive as possible, and now we have a new tool to connect. Of course, you can still go to multinewmedia.com and add a comment to any podcast episode page or blog post, and you can still, of course, email us at feedback at multinewmedia.com. But I am super excited to announce that you can now connect with us and be part of our audio forum. That's right, you can leave us an audio message and appear on air in our brand new multi-new media audio forum powered by Anchor and coming to the same podcast markets that you use to get multi-new media currently. If you haven't used Anchor, take your Apple or Android phone and go to the app market. Download the program, again it's Anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R, and favorite us. We go by the name multi-new media of course. Anchor is used by some to build their podcasts. But we're going to use it to build a special supplemental podcast that features you, our listeners, discussing, interacting, questioning. And we'll, of course, work to keep the conversation going by answering questions, prompting new ones, giving special insider tidbits, and some special guests as well. If the multi new media podcast were likened to a broadcast, then this new multi new media audio forum using Anchor is just like a conversation. On Anchor, you can send us a recorded message called a call-in, and we can use it as a part of our Anchor show. There's more to it, of course, but it's super easy, and you'll get the hang of it um, as you go along. It, again, it's super easy. Now, 
you get to hear the show as we build it piece by piece so you can jump back in and interact all you'd like. But for now, we're looking to push out a couple of forum episodes each month. We'll see how that goes. But the call-in feature that we mentioned before, that's available to you day and night. You can send your two cents to us, your thoughts, your questions, your ideas at any time. And we, of course, look so forward to being able to use those call-ins as a part of this new multi-new media audio forum. Again, download Anchor, follow multi-new media within the Anchor app, and send us a call-in. Ladies and gentlemen, until next time, take care.